night at the pub. There are two lovely people referenced by their real names in this article. Others have had their names changed to respect their privacy. Joan, you can find her sharing insightful stories and delicious recipes at her substack, An American Girl in Italy. Yannick, you can find him sharing his love of music and life on Instagram at Yannick Nyankiko. That's Y-A-N-N-I-C-K underscore N-Y-A-N-K-I-K-O. I usually prefer diving straight into stories without explaining them, because I think pieces should stand on their own. However, it's not a good rule if you don't break it once in a while, so I have a little preamble here for you. When George Floyd was murdered, my husband and I joined the Black Lives Matter protests. You'll recall that this happened fairly early on in the pandemic, so the decision wasn't exactly simple. We'd been fully locked down for weeks at this point, and had been fielding exasperated comments from close family who were less convinced of COVID's seriousness. They wanted to see us. They wanted to hug us. We said no. So it was understandably a challenge to explain that, while we refused the embrace of close family, whose comings and goings we were more or less aware of, we had decided to hit the streets with thousands of complete strangers under the hot Tennessee sun during the worst pandemic in a century. I have been asked before why I care about racism. People get my feminism. I'm a woman. People get my concern about climate change. I live on this earth. But I'm just about as white as they come. I don't understand this question because the answer is simple. I don't want to live in a society that treats people, any people, the way most Western countries treat black and brown individuals. This is not only an ethical stance. It's also a selfish one. I believe that systemic prejudice and hate harm every person who touches the system, which is of course all of us, and that these damaging practices and feelings will as a matter of course bleed out into other less immediately visible parts of this shared experience we call life. I've tried to walk the quite challenging balance beam that is trying to be a good, responsible ally with grace, saying enough to make my stance clear without obscuring voices of color, elevating the platforms of BIPOC individuals without engaging in performance activism, having hard conversations with family members without completely burning bridges. I am most familiar with the history of racism in the United States and have taken steps to deepen my knowledge base in that area, and it's still a complicated and difficult subject matter. So trying to then observe and discuss racism in new countries with new customs in histories I'm less familiar with? Well, it's sort of like attempting to walk a tightrope instead of the aforementioned balance beam. Tightrope and beam walking are very similar in practice and principle. You need to have strong legs, good balance, and keep up momentum. Yet, they also require different rules, different ways of moving, and you're not necessarily going to get it all right. This is sort of how it feels to have learned about the history and present of racism in the U.S., and then try to apply these learnings to a new country. If you're trying to walk the tightrope and you shift your weight in the wrong way because you were used to the balance beam, tightrope experts are going to get very upset and want to disqualify you from this bizarre new Olympic sport I've just invented, tightrope balance beam walking. You simply can't apply balance beam rules and principles to the tightrope and expect to win a gold. But it's still all about balance. 
Several weeks ago, my friend, my husband, and I shared an experience that made a very deep impression on me, and I immediately wrote about it, but decided to wait on publishing it. I wanted to think long and hard about whether publishing it would be helpful to a broader audience, or if it was best left as simple catharsis. Many pieces I write are just that, and never see the light of day. I wanted to get the two people of color mentioned in this story's approval, both to publish it and to use their names, which they have both generously given. At the end of the day, I think the more stories, the more voices we hear on the very sensitive subject of race, the better. My perspective is not the most important perspective on this subject, far from it. I encourage you to ask a person of color if they'll be so generous as to share their own stories of living in your country, wherever that may be. And if they are willing to do so, I encourage you to shut the fuck up and listen to them until they're done before asking questions or protesting what you might think of as an unfair depiction of a place you love. Learning an unhappy truth or uncomfortable perspective doesn't have to be a complete indictment of a place. We don't throw the baby out, as they say, with the bathwater. Remember when you found out that, I don't know, your favorite uncle, the one who always read you dinosaur books as a kid, was a severe alcoholic? Or maybe you discovered that your friend's parents, the ones who are always so loving and sweet and whom you felt were total relationship goals, had dealt with infidelity early on in their relationship. Perhaps your perspective shifts, but he's still your uncle who taught you about velociraptors. They're still the couple who, 40 years on, can be caught making out in the kitchen like teenagers. Life is complicated. People are complicated. You cannot get the full sense of a place from one incident or one story. So again, I encourage you to read and listen as broadly as you can on this subject, particularly from people of color. The truth is in the chorus. And here's my voice in it. I'm going to need more shots. Are you in? My friend Joan looked at me pointedly, and I nodded quickly. I'd already had at least three beers and a shot, and that was after a traditional two-hour Italian lunch, which, of course, had included wine. But this wasn't about getting trashed, which I probably would be after another. This was about distraction. Can't talk about difficult subjects if your mouth is full of whiskey. Can't cry. Hell yeah, I said with somewhat forced cheer. I was thinking ahead to the hour-long bicycle ride Adam and I had ahead of us. It was already a solid hour after we'd begun making moves to leave, only to find our exit delayed by an increasingly tense conversation about racism in Italy. The participants were myself, white, Adam, white, our friend Joan, black, and a handful of her Italian friends, white, most of whom he and I had only just met. Count me in, Adam chimed in. Joan looked at him appreciatively, and I forgot about the bike ride. Joan needed us. In this moment, getting plastered was apparently the best way to be an ally, and I was up for it. It's not hard to be aware of race in Italy if you have black friends. People look. People notice. Suddenly, you're not just two super cute, super professional, super badass women having lunch. You're a white woman, and a black woman, sharing a meal as equals at a nice restaurant that, to put it plainly, does not see a lot of black customers. It's weird that having lunch with a friend can mean something. It's weird when literally the only other black person within a 500-foot radius appears to be bothering customers, begging for money. 
It's weird when staff fail to adequately disguise their shock when your black friend treats you to a fancy lunch. So it's not really surprising that occasionally, especially among friends who are a few drinks in, racism in Italy can become a subject of heated conversation. I'd had two particularly memorable discussions with Italians about this subject previously. One was with a friend in Rome who assured me that Italy simply does not have a problem with race. Italians, she said, don't care what a person's color is. It isn't like in the United States. And I had to admit that the latter point was probably at least somewhat true. Racism in the U.S. has deep roots in slavery, which I could imagine added a very different tenor to a conversation. History and context are important, and I didn't know much about Italy's past in this area at the time, so I weighed her input about her own country accordingly. And yet... I couldn't help but wonder if she'd ever asked a black Roman about their feelings on the subject. Her perspective reminded me a bit of an extraordinarily cringy Italian buddy cop show I was watching to improve my language skills, which featured heavy-handed and clumsy attempts to prove that the old white cop was just traditional, certainly not racist, while we watched his relationship with his young black partner grow in fits and starts. They navigated racist pitfalls as they solved crimes, and everyone had a good laugh along the way. The show wasn't the worst thing I'd ever seen, to be sure, and I appreciated that they were at least trying to talk about the subject. But damn, it sort of felt like watching a senior citizen navigate YouTube for the first time. The other memorable conversation I'd had just a few days previously, with my friend Joan, who is Black and Kenyan-American, and her friend Yannick, who is Rwandan-born but very much Italian-raised. We talked about the twin challenges of ignorance and invisibility, about his years struggling to be accepted into the local culture where he was now a beloved staple. Yannick was remarkably full of cheer, even as he told stories that broke my heart. But it wasn't all heavy talk, of course. At one point, we were discussing his dating life, and he rolled his eyes when Joan tried to hook him up with a friend of hers she tried to set him up with previously. You see, Joan knows what I want. Yannick gave a mischievous grin. And what is that? I asked. I want a beautiful, strong African queen, he said with passion, hand to his chest dramatically. Well, Unique, so do I, but we don't always get exactly what we wish for, do we? I said with a laugh and waggled my eyebrows at my sweet husband across the table, who can be called many things, but certainly not an African queen. Yannick let out a hearty laugh and we ordered another round of Prosecco. One thing in particular that Yannick said this evening very much stood out to me. Even this, he said, stretching his long arms to encompass the salami-laden table surrounded mostly with white Italians and two white Americans. Even just Joan and I having fun with you, enjoying aperitivo. Even this is helping, because people see it, and it becomes normal for them. Piano, piano is a common saying here in Italy. Maybe even more than a saying, it's almost a way of life. Slowly, slowly. I thought about that moment when we arrived at the pub. I felt honored to be included in the hangout. It really was just a bunch of local Torinese men, Joan, and myself. Everyone was happy to see her when we arrived. The regulars, the server, the bar owner. Joan is a charismatic and delightful person, so I wasn't surprised when it became very clear that she was a loved and valued member of the crew. For my own part, I enjoyed the peripheral glow on myself as her friend. In the hours before the final ill-fated shot, 
We'd been enjoying our beers with several men with whom Joan shared an office space, but two in particular. One, Luca, was a kind-hearted, intelligent young man. The other was his boss, Giuseppe, a cantankerous and boisterous local, whom I suspected from the first was prone to loudly stating his controversial opinions to get a rise out of people. It wasn't intended particularly maliciously, but Joan did acknowledge that some of her friends found Giuseppe to be a challenge to spend much time with. I've certainly known many men like him, and for the most part, I enjoyed the show. As the beer and whiskey flowed, so did the conversation, which inevitably wound its way toward controversy, including, of course, racism in Italy. For my part, I tried to listen. I listened to Luca, who made thoughtful points about the interplay of ignorance and racism in the history of Italy. He and Joan debated the importance of intention. Though Joan's experience being called the N-word, which I have such a strong aversion to I can't even type out, much less say, uh, pro tip, I substitute the word neighbor when singing along with hip-hop tracks. Uh, while this was upsetting for her, Luca suggested it was a simple misunderstanding on the part of the old restaurant owner, who simply didn't know better. Black was merely a descriptor, like calling a redhead carrot top. It was behavior that should be called out and changed, he said, but it wasn't intended to be hurtful. For some reason, this intention was really important to him, though he also repeatedly reassured Joan that he would have stood up for her in that instance. This matched up with an earlier observation I'd made, another funny Italian contradiction. Italians seem to love passion and tension and controversy, as long as everything resolved peaceably in the end. I personally felt Luca's continued focus on understanding both sides and coming to a clean resolution was misplaced, and I was impressed by Joan's composure and calm engagement despite the overshadowing of her experience and his desire to defend, understand, and excuse the restaurant owner. But in the context of what I was learning about Italy, it made sense. What is a fairy tale, grim though the meat of the story may be, without a happy ending? On the other side of me, I listened to Adam and Giuseppe debate. As predicted, Giuseppe had strong views about this subject. I felt grateful for Adam's willingness to engage in this kind of conversation with strangers as I sat back and listened. I've lived all around the world. It's the same shit. White people get treated like this in other countries, Giuseppe insisted. I was treated like this in Ghana. That's a little different, Adam said. By default, whiteness is generally valued. You might not get a work contract in Ghana because you don't have family or social connections, but you are still often in a position of power. I agreed with Adam. I have experienced being othered. Having spent several years in Japan as a child meant that there had been many situations in which I stood out like a sore thumb. Yet, being singled out for having lucky blonde curls is a world apart from being presumed to be a prostitute because of your skin color, an occurrence Joan had shared was not uncommon for young black women in Italy. But they still look at the race and other things, and if you aren't from there, you are treated like dirt, Giuseppe insisted, gesticulating wildly, as only an inebriated Italian man could. It's just people being shit. It's not racism, it's ignorance. I think Jones... Adam started, only to be cut off by a sentence that made my blood run cold. Jones never experienced racism in Italy, Giuseppe said with a dismissive wave of his hand. My gut twisted and I gaped. In a single sentence, Giuseppe had exposed many of the most unsavory, unpleasant parts of Italian culture. As is all too often the case, 
This man was being dismissive of women, dismissive of people of color, but even worse, wildly dismissive of a friend of his, Joan, a woman about whom I knew he had a huge amount of care and respect based on their interactions and her own stories of how many times Giuseppe had come to her rescue in navigating his hometown and culture. And yet, here he was, saying something like that. The ignorance in that statement was astounding and threw me for a loop, and I wasn't sure how to handle it. As anyone who has met me can tell you, I'm a fairly intense person. This is actually one of the reasons I try to remain extra calm and focus on listening during controversial discussions. I do get upset, and when I get upset, I can be pretty unforgiving in my incisive cutdowns of people I consider to be ignorant fools. Giuseppe had gotten a pass so far because of Joan's stated affection for him and my desire not to speak for her, but enough was enough. Have you tried asking Joan that? I snapped incredulously with even more venom than intended. Thank you, Joan said with obvious relief, and suddenly I felt terrible for not speaking up sooner. Giuseppe stared and did a double take, seemingly surprised at the response. I'm not saying she isn't treated badly, not at all, but it's because she's a woman, not because she's black. I'm sure being a woman doesn't help, I replied, but I'm a woman here too, and yeah, I get treated badly sometimes. But Joan and I have talked about this, and she has very different experiences from me. You're a white Italian man. Well, Luca chimed in. Actually, his family is also Eastern European, and they are also treated badly. That's not the point, I said, getting more heated by the moment. I was, unfortunately, aware of a lot of the stigma against Eastern Europeans, but I also don't appreciate whataboutism. The point is that this black woman... Your friend is telling you something, and you're literally saying that you know what her experience is better than she does. Giuseppe, if you ask me, I will tell you all about my experiences here, Joan cut in with calm, measured tones. And maybe you have your own experiences. I won't tell you what you've gone through. But all I ask, all I ask is that you do the same for me. I stared at my friend in wonder, this supremely calm, collected woman, and wondered how she was able to keep it all together after this questioning of her reality, and by someone she cared about, no less. Suddenly, another crashing realization made me sick to my stomach. Joan didn't get to be upset about these things. At least, not in public. Not in the way I clearly was. Because she was usually the sole representative of blackness, not to mention black femaleness, in nearly every situation she found herself in in Italy. In the same way that women's feelings in general are so easily dismissed. Bah, that's just women for you. I understood that surely the burden on Joan as a black woman was a thousandfold more complex than I'd ever previously imagined. This was the inverse of Yannick's point from a few days before. Just as watching black people laughing and enjoying aperitivo with white friends could be a revolutionary and changing act, so too could an explosion of anger or frustration by a person of color doubly reinforce negative stereotypes. See? See how they act? The thought of the weight of this constant scrutiny made me feel hollow and sick. I turned away from the men at the table, unwilling or unable to continue engaging with them. I'm so sorry. I said directly to Joan. 
I'm so sorry you don't get to be upset about this. Not here, anyway, she said, and then this incredibly poised woman started to tear up. I'm just saying that people are, Giuseppe continued, completely oblivious to the destruction the bull of his stubborn opinions had wreaked upon the pleasant china shop of our night at the pub. Joan held up a hand and waved it in a gesture of, stop. Can we just, we're not going to resolve this. Can we just move on? Look, Joan, are, are you crying? What? Giuseppe looked truly bemused. Shots, Joan said. I'm going to need more shots. Are you in? I would like to say that the story had a neat resolution, a coming together of understanding, a realization of intention, as I'm sure Luca would have preferred, that Giuseppe woke up to the realities that his friend faced, that we all ended up agreeing about how terrible the experience of racism in Italy is, that we all cheersed and took our shots as friends. Well, actually, that last one did happen. Because this is a real story and not a fairy tale, and people are complicated. Situations are complicated. It's true that Giuseppe was hurtful, and so determined to have his own viewpoint heard and validated that he was completely deaf to the suffering of his friend. It's also true that she is his friend, and he cares about her immensely, not just in words, but in actions, introductions into his local world, providing a space to work, emergency rides across town to the hospital, which I am told has happened not once, but many times when Joan has had a health emergency. I cannot pretend I wasn't shaken by the experience, yet I was also strangely encouraged. There is so, so much work to do on this front, and yet tough as it is, step by step, conversation by conversation, friendship by friendship, we try to make progress. Piano, piano. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. This was, of course, a very emotional and challenging essay, uh, more so than many of the others that I post, and I really appreciate you sticking through with it to the end. Just a quick reminder to follow at Utopia Italia on Instagram, which now acts as a hub for the entire Utopia Italia project. There's tons of lovely photos of Italy, updates on new offerings, and if you live in Piedmont, there is a very regularly updated highlight story reel all about events in Turin, they range from art shows to concerts to parties to gallery openings. If you're enjoying what you hear or read, you can help me out by sharing with your friends, family, frenemies, and enemies. Thanks again, and ciao for now.